What's going on? You're here for another edition of the Athletes Wisdom Podcast. Here where we teach college athletes not only how to master branding and marketing, but how to build a business using NIL Spotlight to essentially help grow your platform. Today, I have an amazing, amazing guest, my guy, Peter Iwu. Now, before I introduce him, I always stress the importance of building relationships and, you know, networking, right? And how I met Peter was essentially I met him at the Black Sports Business Symposium. And then from there, we just kicked off immediately. This guy, he has so many titles. It's ridiculous. He has so many different businesses. But one of the things that really stood out to me was not only how young he is, but the passion that goes along with it in building his empire of tycoon enterprises, tycoon sports, tycoon agency, and even the tycoon sports music group. So what's going on, uh, Peter? How are you doing today, bro? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate the introduction, man. I'm excited to be here in the midst of the greats, man. Hey, man. Look, two goats on the way up, honestly. Yes, but, um, so before we really get into everything, I do want, uh, for the audience who isn't familiar with you, I do just kind of want you to give a quick synopsis of kind of like your background story, how you were able to kind of start and then get to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so as mentioned, I'm Peter, you would see on front of Tycoon Enterprise, we're a black owned conglomerate company comprises of a few different businesses, you know, music, sports, you know, real estate, just to name some of the few, and then just marketing overall for brands and creators. And, you know, we just try to say that we pro like providing solutions from all angles for all industries, um, all businesses, all creators, et cetera. Um, you know, in a very short form, I essentially started Tycoon because I didn't, you know, have any way into the entertainment industry when I graduated high school. I knew I wanted to work in the entertainment industry, but I wasn't able to get into it. I had a low GPA, terrible SAT. So it was kind of like little to no hope at the time of, you know, my career. But I just knew that I really wanted to get into it. Tycoon was like a platform that I just started for myself and a couple of people who were interested in the industry to kind of just, you know, come under and be like, all right, this is a group of kids trying to get into this entertainment industry. So, you know, we started it back in 2018. When I graduated high school and then when I went to college at Morgan State University, I definitely like leveraged the network community, you know, both of Baltimore, the students of the people who are in the higher ups to really leverage um, and grow Tycoon to where it is today, um, you know, both on and off campus. But yeah, I like it. And I know uh, that I asked you earlier which one came first and you essentially told me the sports music group came first. But what essentially had you add on the sports side uh to tycoon yeah um you know when i was at uh morgan state you know i definitely came across a lot of student athletes who you know came to me with ideas you know some were good some are bad um, you know, some of the ideas are a way to make money. As, as mentioned, some were good, some are bad. And, um, you know, I'm a pretty personable guy, so you can come to me about just about anything. You know, I'll have something for you. Man, you know, one thing that was pretty common in certain conversations I was having was that, like, student athletes at schools were considering, you know, illegal means of making money, so whether that was, like, doing things that they shouldn't have been, they shouldn't be doing anyway. Some of them are getting caught for, some are not. Hey, my thing is, um, you know, I like to not only just identify a problem, but identify a solution. So, obviously, there was a problem that student athletes weren't able to make ends meet and not just because they don't have no skill it's just because they don't have the time as a student athlete they're in class and then tutoring and practice and conditioning and workouts and games so they don't really have time to like legitly make money so it kind of sparked my curiosity um on how i could provide value to the student athlete so i just thought and this is sometime around last year before i graduated from morgan um i just thought like how about i just contribute um you know my marketing skill sets and my business um acumen to the student athletes and this is when nil was still pretty new so 
just because I saw the vision, I didn't want to just hop into NIL. So I had the vision, just chilled on it. You know, I'm trying to graduate, move to LA, all of this stuff. So I just let it like marinate for a little bit while that was going on. I was just doing some market research, understanding exactly, you know, what NIL companies are starting, what's already in the market, which ones are starting, failing, just to get a good analysis of, you know, what was out there. And then um, drawing closer to like December, January, um, you know, I just noticed, you know, it was a lot of great companies, a lot of great um, resources, um, you know, out there for students and athletic departments for, you know, NIL maximization, but they weren't people who looked like me or you. So once I noticed that, it was like, you know what, like, I need to start this because everybody, it's a lot of NIL stuff. Don't get it twisted, but like, it wasn't led by anybody, not only who looked like me and you, but who can relate to the student athletes more, you know, as a young guy, um, you know, graduated from college, you know, I can, I, I know what it's like when life stuff happens. I know what it's like, you know, when they have like homework to do and they have to, you know, chill on some of the stuff that we talked about and really, we could just kick it. Like me and the athletes, like we just hop on FaceTime and get business done. It doesn't have to be um, a suit or a deal, a suit and tie or deal every single time. We could just have a, you know, a mutual cordial conversation and still get the business done. So they know that if it comes to business, we'll get it done. But you know, we can we can have fun doing it. We can relax doing it. Um, be cool doing it, and it you know gives them it leads to more openness to them. You know, trying out new stuff, trying out new things that we share with them. So it's definitely been, been working. And correct me if I'm wrong, you are the first black owned. Uh, yeah, man. You know, the viewers can Google it. The viewers can Google black NIL agency and see what comes up, and then notify us if, I, if we're wrong. But when you make that, when you Google black NIL agency, the person speaking should. I like it. I like it. I like it. And I feel like there's something there that um I want to kind of shed a light on and it's being the first in your space, right? Oftentimes, right, we always say success leaves clues. We always say that, um, you know, follow the people who have done it before you. But there are a lot of people who have amazing ideas and they're the first ones to do it, right? But oftentimes they feel stagnant in doing it because there hasn't been anyone before them. And they feel as if, well, there's no blueprint for me to follow. I don't, how is it going to be successful, this, that, and the third. And I feel like your story is is the perfect way for them to follow, right? We, we talk about uh, success leaves clues. And if you're in a space where you're the first one, then there is no blueprint, but just go follow, even if it's not in your industry, go look at somebody who was the first in their industry and some of the the things that they did to help them succeed, right? And a lot of those things are still transferable into other industries. And that really is just a lesson that don't let your current circumstances dictate essentially, you know, where you essentially see yourself later down the line. Because like you said earlier, we all go through things. There There are always things that essentially a trial and tribulation in our life. There are always challenges. But if you let those challenges dictate your actions, then you're not really taking control of your own fate and you're just allowing the world to happen to you rather than you happening to the world. Exactly. So one of the things that you said earlier was, you know, coming out of school and you first started your first company uh, that you wanted to get into the marketing agency in the marketing world. But because of where you felt as if you came from and how you had performed in school, you felt that that wasn't a strong possibility. And uh, I know we've spoken a lot and I know a, a decent amount of your journey. But one thing I did learn was that, um, you were actually a Disney, you're a talent acquisition. You did talent acquisition for Disney. So how did that originally come about and how was that experience for you? And how did that, did that also uh, help you in your business? Yeah, for sure, man. You know, I'm one who, funny enough, like even though I'm an entrepreneur and I've been running my business since 2018, since 2018, I've had seven corporate internships. Um, You know, they've all been at, you know, some Fortune, well, not all, but like a good percentage have been at Fortune 500 companies. Um, my first one was Sony Music, where I was a college marketing rep. Then I did some work with Facebook Um, and then, you know, 
know, Disney was also one of the bigger names of companies that I work with out of the seven. But one thing I really like with internships and one thing that, you know, I definitely want to let sit and resonate with the viewers is that like, you know, even though if you're a boss or a CEO, depending on your stage, sometimes it's still good to kind of observe how it works in the already well oiled machine. So like for me, like as I went into internships, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going into this internship, of course, to gain you know, like the, the, the leveled experience for what I'm going to school for and all that stuff. But I want to see how the managers run it. I want to see how the directors run it, how the organizational chart is set up, how the meetings are ran, like who's making the agenda, who's executing, like what are the interns doing? What are they using me to do? What part do I fill in this entire chart? Just as I'm um, just so when I, you know, run my company, I can, you know, not mimic the same thing, but take inspiration and apply, you know, what, what's applicable, right? So like when you think about Sony or think about Facebook or even think about the Walt Disney Company, a lot of these companies are similar setups to Tycoon Enterprise, just on a way granular scale. So like, you know, the Walt Disney Company owns Walt Disney World, Disneyland, ABC, Net Geo. They own different companies ESPN. that are all in, yeah, ESPN. They all, they own different businesses that are all being marketed, branded, and distributed all in different faucets. So it's, you know, the systems that I love observing and analyzing just because that's exactly how I want to run my business. Like you said, you have Tycoon Agency, Tycoon Sports, Tycoon Sound Records, like all of these things. Eventually, you know, the goal is for them to be built in their own arms strong enough to kind of just stand as its own pillar. So, um, you know, understanding those operations. And I learned a lot from, you know, my manager specifically at Disney when it comes to just like, you know, educating your intern or educating the person that reports to you on the material that you need them to do, making sure they're comfortable, making sure they know that no questions are stupid questions, making sure that you all are having some sort of weekly touch meeting, you know, like even how he guided me through sending emails to certain key people and making sure that like I, I wasn't looking crazy in the emails because at the end of the day, I represented not only him, but the company as well. So he did his due diligence to make sure that I was, you know, as close to sharp as him. So those things, you know, as, as little as they may sound, you know, really play a huge role in how we operate in our team. You know, for me, you know, even though we have managers across the different departments within our team, you know, I'm still on all of the meetings, just listening, just so the team feels supported, you know, trying to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with everybody, understand their career goals, align their experience to obtain that. And, uh, you know, those are the type of type of things I learned from these corporations, you know? And I feel like one of the, the key things that you said didn't say directly in there was essentially you were able to learn a lot of the systems that these businesses have, right? We always look at how amazing these companies are doing and the things that they do in light, but we don't see a lot of the things that they do behind the scenes and behind closed doors and in the shadows, right? Every successful business, no matter the industry that you all see in the world, they have impeccable systems behind it that help it go, right? Amazon is a perfect example. When you order from Amazon, right? You don't hit a person up and say, hey, show me the list of products that you all have. And then, oh, let me get this. And then they physically put your order in and then they send it. No, they have systems. They have certain things that are automated and then certain automations, which are two different things that they have in place in that company to where when you hit buy, it's automatically sent to all the necessary people, all the necessary systems. So it's automatically boom. All right. They said they wanted this. We got, we are, we already know we have that in stock. We don't have to go check it obviously because it's been scanned because there's systems in place, right? To make sure that the entire process is easier so that the people who are the head of the company and, you know, people like you are able to not waste your time doing what I call minimum wage activities. You're able to use that time to actually do uh, income producing activities and activities that yield results. So how many internships and how many programs and how many, I don't like to call them jobs. I like to call them side hustles in my opinion, right? Cause it's a, it's a side hustle while you're building your, your brand, but how many internships, side hustles and things did you go to before fully just working for yourself? Yeah. So I did, um, internships, uh, including Disney, which I, I rounded up a few weeks ago to actually pursue this full time. And then, um, obviously I went to school at Morgan State University for a degree in strategic communication, which encompasses marketing, advertising, PR, and journalism. 
Um, and then I also attained um, nine marketing certifications, um, you know, some more on the uh, marketing side um, and then like a couple on like the NIL side. So, um, yeah, we definitely try to be uh, as, as knowledgeable as we can and experienced as we can just so like, you know, I can I can speak confidently, speak from experience and, you know, uh, you know, even be confident in myself to kind of, to kind of get things moving on, on the business side of things. So kind of go into uh, some of those NIL certifications, right? Like where did you go to get now? This is more of a more of a selfish question for me. I'm just going to be yeah. honest, but I do hope that the audience is still able to take advantage of yeah. this. Where did you go to get some of those NIL certifications? And correct me if I'm wrong, you're a, a NIL sales sports agent, correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, technically, yeah. There, there is no like they haven't made it like official, official, official. But like, like if there was any like in the like if there was a role that was titled like an NIL sports agent, like I essentially would definitely fall under that, fall under that category. And where were you able to get a lot of these certifications at? Uh, and things of that nature. Yeah, um, I got mine from um, Front Office Sports. They have a collaboration with Meta right now where there is actually a free, um, you know, NIL marketing certification program, um, you know, pretty uh, quick and accelerated in my personal opinion. Um, and it really just touches on like, you know, the reasons why NIL is valuable, you know, where athletes can attain value from and really maximize the NIL, you know, so on and so forth. I ain't gonna lie, I just looked that up. It's already on the browser, brother. Yeah. So how many athletes are you currently working with and how many athletes have you worked with total since this NIO journey has started? Yeah, so yeah, we started in January and right now we have 20 athletes. I would say we have probably like triple that trying to work with us right now. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm really on a, on a quality versus quantity kind of mindset. So like, I don't want to have 50 or 100 athletes and nothing is going on with them. So I'd rather just take a small number that me and my team can really handle and maximize um, and then kind of just go from there. But we have, um, you know, athletes in Michigan State, um, you know, Trinity Valley, Utah, Oklahoma, VTech, Penn State, Carolina State, Morgan State, of course, University of Maryland, California State, Long Beach, um, and the list goes on. So, I mean, and the athletes are diverse as well. So, like, we don't just have like football and basketball. We have, you know, women's basketball, volleyball, soccer, track, lacrosse, cheer. We diverse, we diverse within that small group as well. And how were you able to, especially as, because although NIL is still a very new space, there was still already what I call industry leaders in acquiring a lot of these talents. So how were you able to acquire some of the talent that you have? Did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? Was it a mix? How, how did that go? Yeah, it was definitely a mix of both. Obviously, like, you know, a lot of it was just like direct outreach, like me connect with them the vision, like, hey, look, we're the first black NIL marketing agency. You know, we think we can partner up and really maximize opportunities here. We'd love to hop on a call and share some more details. So we'll just hop on a you know, one-on-one call, nothing too far from something like this. Just have have a conversation, um, you know, showcase what the vision is, kind of understand where their pain points are and what their past experiences have been like to make sure we're not replicating that they're negative and really just seeing how we can provide value and, you know, kind of just get things going with the student athletes. I like that. So when you partner with these athletes, what are, and I know it obviously depends on the athlete, their brand and, and, you know, just kind of like their overall core values, but what are some of the NIO deals that you work towards getting for the college athletes? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, all of our 20 athletes, like when we onboard them, everybody kind of goes through a relatively similar process. And what that process is, is like, obviously once they onboard and conclude agreement and all of that logistical stuff, the first was assess their personal brand. So we kind of just dissect them a bit, understand what their preferences are from like food, drink, product, passions, that passion points they have that we can really capitalize on, things that's already working on their social media. And then we kind of come up with something that we call the talent profile that kind of just speaks to all of those things to kind of showcase 
what we understand of that athlete. Then we have another call with them where they kind of articulate to us like, you know, this sounds like me, this doesn't sound like me. I really want to try this. And the goal at this stage is really to like build up their platform because if an athlete comes to us with 5,000 followers and we just start shipping them out to brands, then we're shortchanging them. How about you come to us with four or 5,000 followers? We try to go you to 7,000, eight, probably 10,000 followers, and then we're in a better position to negotiate. And this is a better, you know, energy put out on both of our sides. And it kind of shows that collaboration. So the art, the athlete works as well. And then we work as well. So we're not looking, you know, for athletes who just think they're going to come to our agency and just become like the king of NIL, you know what I'm saying? And have all the deals in the world. So, you know, we're really big on brand building, making sure that we're implementing content strategies, making sure each and every athlete is showing some sort of sign of growth before we move them to the next phase of really focusing on brand partnerships. But, you know, in the, the good thing for the athletes, which we also stress is that like in the stage of the personal brand building, like, you know, brands come to us. We have a lot of opportunities that are inbound that we share with the athletes that we're able to, you know, use as just like practice, I would call it, or test runs, or just kind of get them familiar with the idea of brand partnerships, all in the process of, you know, building that personal brand in preparation for like the actual rigid, you know, personal uh, brand partnership building stage or uh, alignment stage or whatever you may call it. So when it comes down to after you complete all of those steps and you are able to properly assess that particular athlete, how do you then go about actually getting them uh, the NIL deals? Do you already have existing partnerships? Do you reach out to companies for new partnerships? How does that go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to give too much of our sauce, but, I, um, but uh, in terms of it, it's a little, it's a lot of mix of different things, right? Like in terms of like all the marketplaces, like we have amazing relationships with everybody there. So like, we're not just dependent on the software. We have like, you know, human resources that we can collaborate to increase the chances of our athletes getting deals. Um, You know, shout out to Marketplace, Mobile, you know, Icon Source. Those uh, are pretty dope guys over there that we have relationships with. Gradually building some with just about everything everybody. And that's the thing. We're not coming here to be competitors with anybody in the current space. We're in a position where we come in and partner up. So that's what we're doing with a lot of these marketplaces. Uh, um, outside of that, like, you know, we definitely are actively building relationships with brands who the athletes are signifying interest in partnering with and, you know, building those relationships over, you know, spans of time, spans of time to really just get that to execution phase. Okay. So how many people do you have on your total team when it comes to uh, the Tycoon Enterprise? Uh, total team, um, I would say, but most of them are on the sports side. Agency side is very small. I have a lot of automation and software that is implemented into the agency side and I'm very hands-on on that side with a few other people, but the rest of the people kind of fall under the Tycoon sports side of things. And within that, uh, I know that some of their expertise lies in, you know, both you and the team with the Disney talent and Sony, Facebook. I know you're actually uh, partners with the NBA Foundation, Foundation, correct? Yeah, Tycoon Agency. Yeah, the, the marketing agency, they were one of our, um, I guess I would call them donors at the time of fundraising, a uh, little time last year. So kind of go through the process of how you were able to kind of partner with a lot of these companies. And even further, uh, secondary question that you can answer afterwards is how were you able to do a lot of the fundraising, right? Because a large part of somebody having a business is having the, amount, the right amount of capital. So how were you able to do the proper fundraising with that, even in relation to some of these partners that you were able to uh, form? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just really having good intention. And I think the second thing too, is like, you know, with one thing that did also come with my, a lot of experience working a lot of these corporations is kind of understanding like the brand's point of views. Um, so essentially what I mean by that is like understanding what a brand is looking for in a 
agency like us or even an athlete specifically, right? So, you know, in a course of my experiences, I actually worked at a PR agency that was responsible for, you know, influencer marketing for travel destinations. And so in that role, I was vetting influencers, you know, communicating with their agencies on behalf of the agency um, and really aligning partnerships with, you know, the correct influencers. So from that experience, I like I kind of have a, a bit more of a better understanding of what brands are looking for, even though I'm on the athlete side. So I'm able to kind of come in and speak to the brand in their language and then, you know, come with the athlete's best interest and kind of meet that middle ground there, which I think plays a huge role in the partnerships. And, you know, I think, again, a lot of people are just buying into the vision. Like I said, you know, being the first black owned NIL marketing agency who is coming in and not trying to compete against everybody, but to work with everybody is something that's very appealing and is, you know, quite intentional when we reach out to brands and, uh, you know, talk about what we, how we would like to work because we know that like they could technically be competitors. However, we want to come from a different lens and collaborate. And I think that's really getting us on the good side of brands and, you know, landing us different things. And then also just us having a diverse pool of athletes. So like I said, we're not, you know, an agency that just caters to like football or caters to basketball. Um, like I said, we have lacrosse, we have middle chair, volleyball, beach, indoor, um, soccer, track, um, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, we provide a variety of options for brands to pick from when it comes to working with our athletes. Um, and on the fundraiser side of things, is something that we're still currently, you know, building up. I'm actually going to a pitch competition tomorrow. Um, so, you know, wish me luck. So, you know, it's a day by day thing. Like right you now, we're luck, still- brother, you got athlete. skill. Say one more time. I said, you don't need luck, you got skill. Yeah, no, I appreciate Appreciate it. Yes, sir, man. So yeah, good skill implementation to meet him, man, because I'm going to definitely need them things tomorrow. But now we're just bootstrapping, you know, just taking things day by day, trying to minimize costs at all, by all means and just get the thing moving. You know, fortunately, because I have a lot of expertise and like and a lot of people don't even notice like everything on the Instagram, like, you know, I normally am the person that's making it. And that's just because like same thing with our website, like I built the website from scratch and that's just because like over the course of the five years, like I have had, you know, experience like making flyers and making websites and making social posts and coming up with content strategies. So I'm able to like lead my team, um, you know, to move forward and run with some of those things once the foundation is set. So we've been able to, you know, because of that, save a lot of costs on like marketing or graphic design or website, whatever the case may be, because a lot of that stuff can be done in house. It's really little to like little to nothing you know, from a marketing standpoint or from a, a build up standpoint that it can't really be done in the house. So I like yeah. that. I like that. So. Run me through what a pitch competition is, because I'm not familiar with, with what that is. Yeah, so there's different types of pitch competition. One of the ways we established our relationship with the NBA Foundation, again, that was for like Tycoon Agency, which is one of the sister companies to Tycoon Sports. But essentially what a pitch competition is, you pull up and pitch. So you literally, sometimes they'll give you 60 seconds, sometimes they'll give you three minutes. And within that time frame, you'll be talking about your business, the problem you all are solving, the solution. And then you're essentially, you know, asking for funding for your business. So, you know, a lot of different opportunities where you can just literally they, some of them are called pull up and pitch where you literally pull up and pitch your business you know black girl ventures is one that does it for like women-owned businesses specifically that I work with shout out to them you know pharrell has something called black ambition which also does those i believe that's the program we're actually attending tomorrow um, so yeah there's a lot of resources out there where you can like you know pitch your business or some quick up revenue so i think tomorrow first place winner gets five thousand the next place winner gets three five thirty five hundred and the last person gets a thousand so i'm confident in my walkway with something hopefully is that first person prize but, um, you know, if it's a three prize thing, I think I'll snag the deal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. How were you able to uh, find this? The, I'm always scouring, man. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm scouring myself. Sometimes I have the, like, my interns kind of trying to find different opportunities that we can get into um, to win some money and really push down what we're doing. Kind of go over, 
Um, and I want to pivot a little bit um, here. I know we recently talked, well, you said earlier as far as uh, your team, right? You have about 18 people total on all teams combined, but most of them are sports. And then you just recently said something about an intern. So one thing I want to shed light on is you don't, for, for the audience, is that you don't always have to pay somebody necessarily to be on the team. If you find somebody that's eager, that's hungry, who is who needs to learn a bit more in the space, you can obviously use them. But me personally, I haven't had the opportunity and the and the, the blessing to use an intern. And that's mainly just because I have limited knowledge on how that works. So just kind of run through for the people who are watching and for myself, how you kind of were able to obtain some of your interns uh, and like the process on how that went. I think the first thing to, to start off at as a business owner is to write what I do is like write down everything that goes into your company. If you're doing outreach, if you're doing strategy, if you're doing social media design, if you're doing websites, if you're taking calls, if you're responding to emails, if you're coming up with ideas, if you're making executive decisions, if you're scheduling meetings, like write down every single thing you do and then start siffling it out to a person. So what I what I did is I wrote down everything I did. I write down intern one, intern two, and then I just started aligning a position to an intern. And that way I was a effectively creating position that reduced what was taking up my time. So a lot of people just hear social media intern and social media is nothing that's even taking up time in the business right now, slash maybe needed at a stage of a business and they just get a social media intern without the strategy aligning as to like why they even need it. So, um, you know, I'm one who measures my success off of impact. So I like to you know, provide opportunities to students who I know in the future, um, you know, will be big. And like, there was somebody like, there are people like me who, in high school, they probably had a low GPA or in college, they had a low GPA and they probably really got shunned of a lot of opportunities. So I call it I call us practical geniuses. So like people like if you put a test in front of us, like even if you put a test in front of me right now, like an ABCD test, like I would woefully fail it. But if you give me like a project to like get my hands on and get a little practical, then you might get a totally different result. So I refer to our kind as like practical geniuses. You know what I mean? So, you know, I look for a lot of people like that. And like you said, a lot of them are people who are hungry. Um, they're people who save costs because compensation is not a big thing. But for me, you know, I'm pretty transparent. Like when I speak with people, I'm like, look, we're at a stage of a company where we don't have the funds to even pay myself, pay you. There's this is something that is really for people who see the vision. Kind of just lay the ground flat like, yo, like this is what it is. If you want to get with the team, join us. If not, then, you know, no hard feelings, man. So I think the transparency on that side as well also plays a role. But then when people get in and then see what we're working on and see what we're doing um, and kind of see the potential that it has, it motivates them. Where do you normally post a lot of these postings at for your interns or even for, you know, if you're looking for a job position? Um, LinkedIn. Media, you post it on. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously like social media, LinkedIn, you know, you know, things to like school advisors, school teachers, professors who like speak to these students on a daily basis or other credible sources that students go to to look for information. So as a recent college grad myself, you know, we know like all of the, the top nine to 10 platforms that students are looking to internships at, you know, from a credible standpoint. So we up, we're uploading there and, you know, increasing the visibility as much as possible around it. Um, and then even the people that work on the team, like, you know, their friends want to join, friends of the athletes want to join, um, you know, people who see what we're doing online come across our press. You know, so it's, 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 a, it's a mix of different. So I kind of want to pivot a little bit into what is your overall vision and goal of your yeah. company, right? Like, where do you see yourself in the next year, five years, and 10 years? Yeah. So the next goal short-term wise is to really kick off our um, education phase. So we're looking to cater to athletic departments, to champion their athletes off the field 
build, you know, through education workshops where we'll be talking about what we're doing for our 20 athletes right now. So you can kind of consider our 20 athletes right now like a proof of concept that like we know what we're talking about <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, athlete marketing, sports marketing, whatever you may have it. One of our athletes at Michigan State, shout out to Tyler Roman. Um, you know, he's one who implements a lot of the strategies that we share with him. We're very collaborative on, you know, content production, content strategy, and then maintaining that consistency. And he's accumulated millions of views on TikTok over the course of weeks, you know, just staying consistent and implementing a lot of these strategies. So when we approach these athletic departments, like we're not coming saying like, hey, you know, I went to school for this, I have these certifications, so I know, know how to do this. The conversation is more of like, look, not only do we have these expertise and these credentials, but we're doing it with 20 athletes right now all these 20 athletes are actively you know through our curriculum you know building their personal brands hitting their goals surpassing goals and building themselves and making themselves a bit more um, appealing to uh more big ticket brand partnerships so that's essentially what we're looking into short um short term and then long term you know really just establishing ourselves you know as the nil marketing agency like i said like a lot of athletes are reaching out to us right now you know trying to come on board just to be affiliated and it's great so you know we're just continue trying to start we're six months in five months in made some tremendous progress um you know trying to keep on making more man i love to hear it i love to hear it i want to ask you right you said curriculum um and what exactly you don't have to go through obviously you know each each and every point but what are some of just the main points in your curriculum that you that you like to focus on educating uh the college athletes? yeah so like um the curriculum is pretty comprehensive and it's, it's set to be spanned across three months um which should basically be like a half a semester um you know catering to the students that are off season um and essentially just some of the things in there are like again like the key importance of personal brand and how it relates to personal uh to brand partnerships um as well as like leveraging social media for brand partnerships touch a bit on negotiation um some of the key things are um you know financial literacy as well as just preparation for post-graduation so you know a lot of student athletes won't be going pro that's just the reality of it so we want to make sure that students know you know if they're making money where to put it and if they're looking to you know generate some income exactly how to go about those op those options so that's just like a, a small insight on the curriculum but it's definitely robust as mentioned like three-month program and the content aspect of you, know, you said one of the athletes uh he basically runs the play right when you give it to him and he's been able to accrue a few million views on uh, his his social media platforms. How does the content planning and content creation stage go when you're dealing with athletes, right? Because not everybody's content is going to be the same. So how do you gear it towards the athlete or their personality? Yeah, so we do our best, uh, like, you know, so we understand exactly, you know, where the athlete is trying to take their brand narrative. Um, And like based off of, um, like the call that we have with them, when we kind of gauge what and where they want to take their brand to, you know, we kind of construct content plan and share some inspiration with them to kind of get an idea of what that looks like. And we work with the video, we work with our athletes on content production. So on the editing aspect, we kind of handle that to kind of avoid, you know, the video not doing what it's supposed to do. So yeah, we're very hands-on in that aspect of things with the student, of things with the student athletes. Now you say you're working with 20 athletes currently, right? Yep. How many NIL partnerships total have you been able to accrue for those athletes? And I know yeah. some might not have some, because I know you have a certain process and stage in getting them, but like overall, how many uh, NIL deals have you been able to get for your athletes? Yeah, so about, I would say like 80 of our athletes have at least a couple or one. Like some of our partnerships that we do, we try to get them for like a, a handful of athletes as opposed to one. So like if you look on our Instagram right now, you will notice that like at, we have a partnership with this smoothie drink called Phil, where like like eight to nine of our athletes were a part of that one partnership. So we try to do partnerships and groups. Same thing with, I think just about, just probably like one partnership we did, it wasn't like a group of athletes. Most partnerships that we do like Goatwell, we're doing more Ruffles right now that's coming out. And like those are like normally like a group of athletes that, that, that participate in.
in there. I like that. I like that. Now, how is the pitching different when it comes to pitching for a single athlete compared to pitching for a group, right? Because I know you say you have to, you've learned to look at it in the brand's eyes, like the big company brand's eyes. So how do you craft it or phrase it properly to where it is beneficial for both parties while also, you know, dealing with the diverse amount of athletes that have essentially different values and different goals in, in their career? Yeah, oh, I, like... I think when you're trying to pitch one specific athlete, it has to be a good one. <laughs> and the reason why the reason why is because most times when the brand is running a campaign, we're trying to get as much reach as possible. And that's kind of where the insight of like me working with brands and understanding like what they're looking for comes in. Cause I know that if a brand is running a campaign, they're trying to get as much reach as possible. I mean, one athlete would be amazing, but if I got two or three, that's even better, right? Especially if I can kind of formulate a deal where I'm charging the brand, you know, one price for all three of them and get all three of my guys paid then you know now we're talking right and then now you know with those three people this person might have five thousand followers this person might have ten thousand followers we have an athlete with two hundred thousand you know the combined reach would be you know way better than it was if you're just dependent on one student athlete and then when you're pitching for one student athlete you're like putting you're just betting that like this one student athlete would like attain this goal now if a brand is looking for a specific type of athlete or an athlete located in a specific area, then that might alter how we communicate because, again, we want to speak to the brand's language. So if they're looking for a specific type of athlete, then that would be a situation where we'll be specific pitching specific type of athletes. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's most times in the brand's benefit to go with more than one athlete anyway. Now, when you're building the brand presence for the athletes, is there a minimum amount of followers or a minimum amount of engagement percentage that you look to get? Or is it just you know, a case-by-case -case basis? Definitely a case-by-case -case basis, but every athlete has some sort of social media goal. So whether it's to increase their social following by 5%, 8%, whatever the case may be, all of the athletes are, you know, are disclosed to like what that number is and what we see that for them and how we're going to get there. So they're normally just, you know, small growth, um, growth increments for ourselves, more realistic for ourselves and the athletes. So let's just say there's an athlete who isn't comfortable and doesn't rent content, right? They don't have too much of a brand presence, but you know that their personality and who they are is good for the company. How do you go about building that? And how do you let that uh, athlete know that this, because a lot of people are used to in our society, quick results, quick results. like they get like it they instantly, get it instantly right? So right? how do you so let somebody you... like that know that it's a long-term play and then letting, not only letting them know that, but make sure that they are patient Right. Because you can let somebody know they can be all for it in the beginning. But then once, you know, they start going through it, they start going through some of the challenges. They got some of the things don't work out the way they want to. They get a little bit discouraged. How do you keep the morale up and how do you make sure they understand it's a marathon and not a sprint? Yeah, I mean, I think um, well, there's a few different ways. What was the thing on the top of my head? I think the, the first thing is understanding what those challenges are. So like you said, if you're an athlete who has the potential to be doing well on social and that's not happening, like why is that? Most times the reason why athletes are not you know, in a successful position on socials because there's no one to give them strategy. There's no one to give them inspiration on that strategy. There's no one to hold them accountable for it. There's no one to assist them with producing the videos. Like those four things are things that we do. So those are four challenges already knocked off the wall. So from there, we start examining what are the other reasons that this is not happening and then come and fill in those gaps, um, you know, as a marketing partner to make sure the athlete is set up for success there. Um, and then for the second half of the question, um, you know, 
first of all, that first part plays a huge role in everything else, right? So if we're able to tell the athlete, like, hey, we'll give you the strategy, we'll give you the inspiration, and we'll edit the videos. Like, there's little to no reason why after we deny such offer. The second thing is me just being, you know, right, being relatable. Like, just how I articulated to you earlier. Like, look, if I take where you're at right now and give it to brands, that's a waste of our time. And I'll t- I tell athletes that straight up. You know, I'm a very um, blunt dude. You know, a lot of the athletes know that. I'm not here to, like, sugarcoat stuff or hide stuff. The reality is, like, if I take where you're at right now and give it to the brand, we're not going to get the best buck. We're going to be getting $50 deals, $100 deals, a lot of this little stuff. And if you want the bigger fish, then you need to put in this work. And good things don't come easy, and we make sure again like these athletes know that um out of the 20 athletes like we have four talent managers that work with five each individually so we're all responsible for checking in with our athlete following up with our athletes making sure that they're on point with everything i stated earlier in terms of making sure they're set for success so you know systems that's implemented like that to make sure that people are responsible for doing those things what is really helping us on our side okay so nil deals right it can determine on what the actual compensation package is right some people get product some people get a monetary compensation some quite simply just get the exposure that the brand offers them how do you how what kind of deals do you mainly try to go for or are you still open and pretty versatile to all of the different options i know that there are many different types of nil deals out there what kind of deals are you mainly geared towards getting for your college athletes yeah man so you know as a startup company we, we have to have some proof of concept so we can't be too picky um you know and at the end of the day is back down to the athlete right so obviously like you know i want the biggest deal as possible, but then it kind of just comes down to the athlete. Like, do they resonate with this brand? Do they resonate with this product? Do they use the product? Like, is this something that, you know, can organically fit? And then, you know, based off of those factors, that determines like what brands we work with and how we work with them. But again, for most parts, we're normally just shooting the opportunity over to the athlete. Like, hey, like this is what's going on. It's for a free product or it's for this, it's for that much. Do you want to do it? Yes, no. And then if so, we move forward and if not, we pass on it. So I have a two-part question. First part, a bit more personal. So if you don't want to disclose the, the information, that is 100% fine. What's the largest uh, amount you've gotten an athlete or a group of athlete in one deal? Yeah, just because of the agreements we signed with the athletes, that, that I believe that remains confidential just in respect to the athlete. Okay. The athlete. That's, per- yeah. that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Uh, are you able to give a gauge on what brands are willing to offer athletes uh brands are looking to offer athletes anywhere from free product all the way up to like five thousand dollars and sometimes the free products might have value of even five hundred thousand dollars i'm pretty sure you know everybody knows about angela reese um you know who got a whole car mercedes-benz so like sometimes the product you might not get a cat get it in cash but the product value itself might be way more than the cash you could have got you probably would have bought the same product anyway um and that's another thing that we talk to our athletes about like we get them to understand like hey like what are you spending money on you know right now because you, you can use your nio to save you money right like you can use your nio to get stuff for free instead of spending money on it so when you're getting athletes to save money and they see like yo i was gonna buy this you just saved me all this bread they start seeing the value even though it's not tangible cash so really helping them see the value um, um, and using the NIL that way is something that we definitely push um, our athletes to really just maximize. And that's what they're doing right now. Or the second question is, what are the lengths of the partnerships? I know they obviously range, but are there any partnerships that are continuous and not just a one-off type thing? Yeah, I mean, that's what actually we're trying to push for as well. Like we're trying to push for more longer term partnerships just to create sustainability for ourselves and the athlete and provide more proof of concept to um, the brand partner. But for most parts, they're like, they could be 
one time, they could be one day, one week, three months, six months. Um, I mean, they all definitely depend on, on what the brand is trying to do. And as a business owner, how are you able to take care of yourself and your team, right? Because obviously you're, you're able to get athletes numerous amount of deals, but how are you able to make sure that your company and your team is well taken care of throughout this process as well? As well? Yeah. So yeah, that's what we're planning to expand into that education piece, um, you know, cater to the athletic departments. I mean, we definitely see that as a definitely like as, as a top-notch revenue generator for the agency, you know, moving forward once we start rolling that out. So I want to open the floor to, uh, you know, have you just give any extra piece of advice that I haven't asked you, right? If there's a college athlete looking right now and there's one thing that they're able to take away from this entire conversation, this entire podcast, what would it be? Um, I would say focus on that brand. And the reason why, if you're a student athlete, if there's anything that you have as a student athlete, that you're going to have for the rest of your life is going to be your brand. Your skills are eventually one day when you get older and wear away. You're not going to wear the same college jersey after college. Your number probably might change. Your last name might probably might change. I mean, your brand shoe might just change, but your brand is the only thing you're still going to have with you, you know, until the last day. So that's why for us, we're really big on emphasizing the value of the personal brand, just so athletes are making sure that even after college, they're doing good, you know, offer their personal brand. And that's really like the goal here, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of, you might get like one or two little deals. You might be at a big school. You might be under the right guy who knows this, that, or that company, but in the long term of things, it's definitely detrimental to not have a pretty established brand. And when I say established, it doesn't mean a hundred thousand followers, but just like what, what, when people see your page or hear your name, what do they think of? What do they know you for? You know, what makes them come to your page and really being consistent on whatever strategies to find that to the best of your ability is exactly what, you know, I would say to a student athlete and honestly, anybody watching, because we all have personal brands. So that's an advice to myself. And so actionable steps today to build your personal brand is doing some competitive analysis. So like if you're, if you're an athlete, a student athlete, and you want to be like, just hypothetically, Tom, or let me use this guy, Jimmy Butler, just because that's a bit more of a son. Some of the athletes' brands are very strong. Or if you want to be LeBron James, or if you want to be Tom Brady, or even if you want to be smaller players like Anton Brooks, or whatever the case may be, like go to their profiles, study their profiles, see what's working for them, see how you can get inspiration and apply it to your platform come up with a plan and just start from there. I mean, I'm pretty sure after watching this interview, you might find yourself on TikTok, utilize TikTok. I, I'm a big YouTube university guy, you know, watch some YouTube, you know, YouTube videos, you know, see what different people are doing. Not don't copy exactly what you watch, but just derive inspiration, take notes, kind of align it to what your vision is and then just roll out your play from there. But it's definitely possible. It definitely is attainable. And I normally say like, the only thing stopping people right now from doing things is the, the, the BS you telling yourself you can't do it for. That's it. So it's, instead of you sitting there and thinking about like why it can't be done, just get up and go and do it. Um, and then you, you kind of surprise yourself. And I actually want to circle back around. Uh, you, you mentioned something earlier that made me think about this. How many D2 and D3 athletes are you working with? Um, I think a few. I think most of our athletes are D1. And it's funny because I'm, I'm just not learning about the division stuff because I'm not a sports guy. Like, I wasn't an athlete or none of that. I just kind of saw the opportunity. I played football in high school. It doesn't really count, but... Like, you know, um, it, counts, bro. Are... it counts. It counts. <laughs> I played football in high school. It counts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Most of the, most of the athletes are D1 though. So how has the NIL journey been for the D2 and D3 athletes? Because I'm starting to see a lot more of them being able to be granted some of these opportunities to get NIL deals. Yeah. That's where the personal brand comes in, right? Like if you have a strong personal brand, it doesn't matter where you go. 
you know, at the end of the day, NIL has nothing to do with your school. I mean, it does, but like technically it doesn't. It stands for name, image, and likeness, and it doesn't mean mm-hmm. university name or university image or university likeness. It means like you as an individual's name, image, and likeness. So like, as you can see, athletes entering the transfer portal, they're still transferring with all of their NIL deals and dollars. So, um, you know, making sure that that brand is sturdy, definitely. It's going to sound like I re- I'm repeating it, but like, once you get it right, like if you're an athlete right now at like 5,000 followers, you implement a strategy and grow yourself to that like 10, like it doesn't have to be 10K, but you grow yourself where you have high engagement, high following, and it's evident to brands because they can tell when it's fake. Mm-hmm. And you like, you'll notice like, man, I should have, I should have did this a long time ago. So, yeah. so what's uh, the lowest number of followers one of your clients have had and they were still able to get an NIL deal? Like 1,200 followers. Yeah, 1,200. One of our women basketball players has like 1,200 followers and we still secured her a deal. Even players like, well, yeah, but around that too, I've seen good deals, even bigger deals um, and more substantial deals as well. So what's happening? I like it's to hear it. I like if the athlete's able to sell the story, like the followers don't matter. It's because sometimes brands just want an athlete who can speak on a certain topic or they just want an athlete who resonates with a certain topic or they're familiar with a certain topic. It doesn't, they don't matter. About, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what your followers are if you genuinely have a personal brand that aligns with the goal of that that that, object, that campaign. So. I like it. I like it. Hey, well, I appreciate you uh, joining me today. Uh, I want to open the floor to, yeah. to uh, allow you to ask me any questions or if you if you happen to have any. Um, Yeah, man, I, I guess I can actually, where do you see the NIL space going in the next two, three, four, five years? I see the NIL space being, um, obviously, it's going to get much more regulated. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, there's, there's laws coming on that already. Like, they're actually going to, like, how you were talking about being an NIL agent, like, they're going to... Exactly. I feel like, like, not e- like, I didn't even think about the, the agent aspect but definitely that but even just i feel like they're going to put some type of soft cap and this is the next two to five years right it can change it to a hard cap later down the road but i feel like they're going to put some type of soft cap on the amount of money that some of these athletes are going to be able to make be for a various number of reasons but i would like to see them put a soft cap simply because i want more of the athletes who aren't getting a lot of the money to be able to get more money right so i feel like People are going to put a soft cap just so, you know, obviously the big institutions can make more money. And then I feel like some people will attempt to put a soft cap simply because they're like, okay, you have all these D1 and these top players from these top schools getting a lot of these big name brand deals, but that's where 90, 95% of the money is going. Let's distribute it and put, okay, if there's going to be a hundred million dollars spent in NIL this year, let's say 60% of that or 65% of that can go to D1 and then the rest need to go to D2, D3 and other HBCU schools. So it's more diverse. So everybody can essentially take a part in it rather than, you know, all of the money going to one player in one school. You feel what I'm saying? So I feel like that's that's one of the regulations that I do see coming down the line for the reasons that I said, maybe not, but I do feel like they'll put some type of cap on it. Because I mean, I want to say it was um, Deion Sanders who said this. I can't really remember. But he said, how do you think it's going to be when there's a player on the team that's making more money than a coach, right? Yeah. Like, what kind of, now, obviously, if you are more mature as, a, as an individual, you will know that it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's a level of wisdom and understanding. But for someone who might not be as mature, right, they're going to think, well, I make more money than you, so why do I have to listen to you, right? And then that kind of yeah. deteriorates a lot of what NIL was originally placed there for. And just 
just kind of deteriorate the whole college athletics, which I hopefully don't want to see. I mean, uh, for a fact, for a fact, some of the athletes are going to be making most. Some athletes are making more money than their coaches right now. Already, yeah. You know, so <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder how it's going to be to try and regulate um, more from the perspective of creating opportunities for elsewhere for everybody else. But we'll see how that's taken. I mean, you know, for me, I'm one who doesn't mind change and, adap- and adapting to things. So I don't think any of the upcoming regulations are going to affect us in a negative way. It might just cause one or two adjustments, but not crazy. I like it. I like it. Hey, well, thank you once Thanks, again, man. Peter, for joining. For the people who don't already know, can you just go ahead and let them know yes, where sir, to find man. you? At- I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Peter Ewell, and then on my Instagram, I believe it's by my name, is only the number one Gucci P, and, you know, tap in, say what's up, follow us on Tycoon Sports as well, T-Y-K-O-O-N Sports, that's the URL for our website, and then the username for our Instagram as well, so check us out. Well, so hey, man, out. I, pre- I appreciate you joining, and I appreciate the audience for being able to tune into this amazing, amazing podcast. I know I've had a lot of guests on, but this is actually one that I've been trying to get on for about two months now. So <laughs> thank you for joining and thank you all for tuning in. If you haven't already, go ahead and follow my guy, uh, Peter, and then go ahead and like and subscribe to this video. Leave some comments on some things that you might want to see next and let's go. Mm-hmm.